leprosy. Uh, we have seen Elisha receive from Elijah a double portion of his spirit. Uh, one of the things that's indicated by that, whether it's deliberate or, or intentional, uh, Elisha works twice as many miracles as Elijah did, having a double portion of his, of his spirit. Uh, we've seen Elijah go up into heaven. Elisha receive his mantle and begin to work miracles. And then we're now at 2 Kings 5 in the story of Naaman, the Syrian captain. Delighted to have Andy and Rosalind with us this weekend. Rosalind's my daughter. Andy is my son-in-law. They are engaged in a church planting situation in Orlando, Florida, right next to the University of Central Florida, which is, surprisingly to me, the largest uh, university in the United States in terms of the number of students that they have. And Andy himself was converted through campus ministry. He's always had a heart for campus ministry and has worked in it one way or another. And now he's going there to work specifically, especially at the University of Central Florida and, and the students there. He's with us. I'm going to ask him to lead us in our prayer this morning. I'm supposed to brag on your children, but I guess it's all right to bring, brag, brag on your sons-in-law. Uh, uh, Andy is one of the most effective personal evangelists uh, that I've ever known. Uh, he, when he's working regularly with the church, he meets any visitor that comes by, gets their name, and asks them if they're interested in a Bible study. And if they are, he studies with them and very often baptizes them. And I'm sure he'll be doing a great work of that kind in the begins a church in, uh, uh, in Orlando. Uh, we, uh, well, that's enough. <laughs> uh, Naaman was a Syrian captive, captain. We've known at this period of time that the uh, primary enemy of Israel has been Syria. Ben Hadad has been the king, and uh, there has been a uh, continual battle back and forth uh, between the two. And God has not always been with the people of Israel because during the period of Ahab, uh, which uh, has uh, been throughout this period we've been studying, uh, Ahab has been, as a result of his wife Jezebel, has been an adherent to uh, the, the, the fertility god Baal and his cohort Ashtaroth. And... Uh, uh, therefore, has incurred the uh, uh, enemy, the, the anger of Jehovah, uh, at, at this uh, departure from worshiping Him. Uh, at this particular time, though, that not part of the picture. Uh, there's a Syrian captain, captain by the name of Naaman, uh, who has leprosy, and. In some of the raids that they've carried on down into Israel, they captured a little servant girl, a little Jewish girl that they used for a servant girl. And she told her mistress one time that there is a prophet in Israel who might could clear Naaman of his leprosy. So she told Naaman. Naaman told the king of Syria and asked permission to go. The king of Syria gathered together a bunch of gifts, gold and uh, clothes and other things 
and, and sent them by an invoice to the uh, king of Israel. Throughout this area, all he's identified is as the king of Israel. And one of the things you have to recognize is throughout this whole area, uh, Bible, you can't always count on it being in chronological order. But if it is in chronological order, the last king of Israel we knew was Jehoram, who was the son of Ahab, but who uh, the verdict was had, had continued in the evil of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to sin. That is, he was still worshiping Jehovah, but was doing so with the golden calves that he had built at Dan and Bethel. That was some better, but still sinful, and that was the verdict uh, upon him. And that's the last king we see noted until this king of Israel is here. So perhaps that's who this was, was uh, Jehoram. And uh, Jehoram receives these gifts from the king of Syria uh, with a request that he heal Naaman of his leprosy. <laughs> and the king of Israel, of course, had no idea how he could possibly do that. And he assumed that this was a ploy on the part of the king of Syria to since he couldn't do what he asked to, to invade him. Uh, but uh, there was a person nearby who said, well, there is a prophet in Israel who is noted for uh, that kind of thing, and he might be able to help Naaman with his leprosy. So he sent the king of Israel to Elisha, and he sent word back to Naaman that, there was a, that Elisha the prophet would see him, and he came to Elisha the prophet and asked to be cleansed of his leprosy. Well, he expected uh, fanfare since he was a prominent individual. Uh, but there was none. And Elisha sent word through his servant, who was named Gehazi, uh, go out and tell him to go dip in the river Jordan seven times and he'll be cleansed of his leprosy. Well, that made uh, Naaman mad. Behold, I thought, he said, that's been a subject for a lot of sermons. Of, now, I thought is different from what God said, and what God said matters and what I thought doesn't. But uh, he said, Behold, I thought that he would uh, come out and name the name of his God and wave his hand over me and, and, uh, and cleanse me of my leprosy. And that way, I didn't expect to be treated so cavalierly and uh, just a servant to tell me to go dip in the River Jordan seven times. We've got better rivers in Damascus than that. The Wana and the Farfar, they're clean. Jordan's muddy. Uh, why should I dip in the River Jordan? But his servant had a little bit more wisdom than his master did. And he said, you know, if he had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. He told him to go uh, crawl up the steps of the temple 17 times or, or anything like that. He would have done it immediately. Why not do this simple little thing? <coughs> so Elisha agreed went to the Jordan River, dipped one, two, three, four, five, six, nothing happened, dipped the seventh time, and his skin was cleansed of a leprosy just like a newborn babe. Uh, he was delighted. He brought back many, many gifts to Elijah, Elisha and offered them to him. Elisha said, no, I'm simply doing the will of the Lord and don't need your gifts, and he sent him away. His servant Gehazi was a little greedy covetous, I guess you could say. And uh, so he uh, ran after him and said, my master's changed his mind and he'll take so much gold and so much silver and, and so many uh, uh, articles of apparel. And uh, he took him for himself and went back. Before we get to that part of it, though, let me mention 
something that's often said that you've already thought of, I'm sure. Uh, this is not unusually used. That's a crazy way to start a sentence. This is quite frequently used as a way of uh, illustrating the point about baptism and salvation. He that believes in is baptized shall be saved. It's sort of like he that dips in the river Jordan seven times I shall be cleansed with leprosy. Uh, and uh, that's what God had said. Now, what does dipping in the river Jordan have to do with being cleansed of leprosy? Well, ordinarily, absolutely nothing. A uh, hundred thousand lepers could go down to the river Jordan and dip seven times or 17 times or how many times, and nothing would happen. The reason something happened here is because God said, you go dip in the river Jordan seven times, and you'll be cleansed of your leprosy. Same thing with baptism. What does baptism have to do with salvation? Well, you could say absolutely nothing except the fact that Jesus said he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He told his apostle to say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can go on and on, but the reason baptism is essential to salvation is simply because God said it, made it that way. That was a condition. It's often been pointed out, just as a sidelight, that no gift has ever been given that didn't have some condition, either implied or implicit, uh, to receive it. Uh, that, that statement was made one time in the pulpit, and the uh, preacher was standing at the door shaking out the, the congregation, and uh, the man came, who, a man came back and took a $10 bill and stuck it in his pocket. And he said, now here's a gift that's given without condition. You've got it, and, uh, and that contradicts the response you made in your sermon. Preacher said, no, if that stays in that pocket, it's not a gift, and I haven't done anything with it. It's not until I reach in the pocket and get it out and use it that it is, is in any sense a gift to me. And uh, that is a fa fact. Every gift has some kind of condition, either explicit or implicit, connected with it. And it doesn't keep it from being a gift. So uh, when we are commanded to have faith and to be baptized in order to receive salvation, uh, that's not a anything that earns salvation. It would be obvious that being dipped in water doesn't earn anything. But it does show our willingness to meet the condition that God has given to receive salvation. And that's, a, in a sense, a test of faith. As James said, you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. And that's how faith is shown, by obedience to what God has said. Am I coming across? Is this still working? Way back in the back, can you hear me? Okay, good. Uh, one other thing about this that's interesting uh, in Luke chapter 4, uh, most of us are familiar with the fact that Luke is a Gentile. And as a Gentile, he writes to Gentiles, and particularly with, with the book of Luke and Acts, he, he names the person he's writing it to. He's the most excellent Theophilus. That's a Roman name, and most excellent is a Roman title for a, a functionary. We, we, like we use the honorable so-and-so for mayor or that kind of thing. So this was a, a Gentile uh, officer of some time in, in, in the Roman hierarchy. And so a Gentile is writing to a Gentile. And so unlike the books of Matthew and Mark, when something definitely Hebrew or regarding the law that the Jews would be recognized with, Luke takes time to explain it. And uh, in this instance, uh, uh, he's dealing with the fact 
that Jesus is dealing with the fact that there is faith, more faith oftentimes outside of Israel than there is in Israel. And here's what Jesus says in Luke 4, verses 25 to 27. But in truth, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. But Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So you see the emphasis he's making. There are people in Israel, but the God's blessings went to people outside of Israel. And he's making the point that uh, ultimately the kingdom is going to, to people besides the Jews, and including the Gentiles. And uh, people don't like that. Matter of fact, right at the end of this point that he made, they got angry with him, and we're going to uh, cast him off the mountain and kill him. But he, the Bible says, just passed through their midst, sort of disappeared uh, from them as they were trying to catch him. But uh, that's a, uh, a frequent point in, in, well, in all the Gospels, really, but especially in, in Luke, uh, that uh, uh, oftentimes there's more faith in outside of Israel than there is in, 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 in Israel. Uh, comment or question to that point? Uh, name has been preached about a lot. You've probably heard some sermons that really points I hadn't made. Uh, any, any addition or any comment? Question. I'm sorry, I'm not hearing. Let me get closer. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting point. Uh, Naaman gathered up some dirt in the land, from the land of Israel and said, I will never again worship any god but uh, Jehovah, the God of, of, of the Israelites, and I'll use this to build me an altar uh, so that I'll be doing it on holy ground from Israel. And then a very interesting thing is, he says, but working for the king of Syria as a captain in his army, I'll have to go with him sometimes when he worships other gods and participate in, in what's going on there, or at least appear to. And uh, we might expect the prophet to say, no, you can't do that. But instead what he said was, go in peace. In fact, do what you have to, but in your heart, be honoring the Lord God as the only God. Uh, I don't have any comment on that. Uh, that's just what the prophet says, and I find it, lack of another word, I find it interesting. Uh, any other? All right. Uh, then Gehazi went after him and got some of these clothes for himself and some gold and silver for himself. And Elisha, of course, knew it. And uh, as a result, he put leprosy upon his servant. And he used the language that it will be upon you and your descendants forever. Remember that because it will come up again in some of the other things we'll be talking about in, in a moment. Uh, the next incident that occurs in Elisha's life in 2 Kings 6, verses 1 to 17. Uh, uh, some people were told to uh, uh, 
sons of the prophet said to Elisha, see the place where we dwell in your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. So they were building a house, the sons of the prophets were building a house for the sons of the prophets to live in. And during the course of it, uh, one of the men who was working uh, was using an axe and the axe head came off and fell into the water. The axe head, of course, was metal, iron. And uh, uh, the man was disturbed because he said he had borrowed that axe head and, and it would be important for him to return it. And he told that to Elisha. And Elijah said, don't worry about it. And in a moment, he had the, the iron axe head floating. Uh, one of the things we've commented on is there are more personal miracles and with things like this, you might call it insignificant miracles in one way or another in Elisha than any other Old Testament prophet. Uh, the only person you could really compare him with with that kind of miracle would be Jesus, uh, who obviously uh, could do and did do uh, the same thing. But uh, uh, he made the axe head to float in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Uh, Then in chapter, in verses 8 to 23, uh, the king of Syria uh, decided to uh, ambush uh, the king of Israel when he was out with his soldiers uh, doing various things. And he would set up an ambush and every time he did, the king of Israel knew ahead of time that they were there and avoided going that way. And after a while, the king of Syria decided, we've got a traitor in our camp. And everything we decide to do, he tells the king of Israel, and the king of Israel escapes our, our trap. And then somebody told him, no, it's not a traitor in Israel. There is a prophet in Israel who uh, knows what's said in the king's chamber and uh, is able to tell the king of Israel and he therefore gets it done. So the king of Syria said, well, we'll go capture this prophet. So he sends a group of soldiers uh, to, uh, to, to see him. And uh, uh, verse 14, he sent horses and chariots and a great army and they came by night and surrounded the city where Elisha and his servant were. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, uh, interesting, that's the servant of the man of God. Throughout this story, he's unnamed. Uh, is he Gehazi or not? Does he still have leprosy or not? Uh, all, it's, all we know is that he just says it was a servant of, of Elisha. And again, keep in mind that it's, it's obvious that none of these things are necessarily in, in chronological order. But the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and saw the horses and chariots of the king of Syria surrounding their, their army. And he woke uh, Elisha up and said, we're captured, we're surrounded. Said, and Elisha said, don't worry. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Well, the servant didn't understand that. He didn't know anybody who was with us at this point in that sense. Reminds me of uh, the statement of John the Baptist, excuse me, John the Apostle in First uh, uh, John where he said to Christians, he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And uh, uh, we have a more powerful force for us than anybody can bring up against us 
is the point that uh, John is making. And that's the point that <coughs> Elijah is here saying. We're protected by more soldiers than they have. And uh, the servant said, I don't understand that. We don't have anybody. And, G and Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when he opened the servant's eyes, he saw that they were surrounded. The army of Israel was surrounded by a great host of horses and chariots of fire uh, sent by the Lord. So he understood the truth of Elisha's statement. They that are with us are greater than those who are with them. And so he went out then, and uh, they were captured and struck with blindness. And uh, Elisha said, you haven't come to the city you wanted to go to. Let me take you to where you want to go. And so he took him to uh, the king of Israel in uh, Samaria. And uh, <coughs> when they got there, they opened their eyes, and they saw that they were surrounded then by the armies of Israel. And uh, uh, the king of Israel said, what shall we do? Shall we slay them all? And uh, Elisha said, no, it's not the practice of, of Israel to slay the uh, prisoners of war. Uh, I guess even in those primitive days, they had, uh, uh, we call it laws of warfare that were expected to be followed like our, as we do. And uh, so they sent them all back home and uh, uh, they went back and told the king what had happened and of course he didn't send any more <laughs> soldiers after Elisha at, uh, uh, at that point. But uh, uh, the uh, king of Syria's uh, plans were thwarted uh, again. Uh, then in chapter 24, verses, not chapter, cha verses 24 through 33, still of chapter 6. Uh, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, and whether that was the same king that had just been involved in the incident before, we don't know. But uh, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, uh, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And as a result of the siege, there was a great famine in Samaria. What a siege is, is you cut off all traffic into and out of the city. <clears throat> and after a while, whatever food there is in the city uh, gets, gets uh, used up, and uh, they find themselves with no food, oftentimes no water, uh, and, and uh, <coughs> that's the purpose of a siege, eventually to just starve them out, make them come out and, uh, and surrender. Uh, <coughs> and the famine in Samaria was such that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the first part of a cab of doe's dung for five shekels of silver. Things normally worth nothing were sold for a great amount of money is what you can translate that uh, as. And as the king of Israel was passing by, <coughs> a woman came out to implore him and said, help my lord, O king. He said, if the lord will not help you, how can I help you? And the king said to her, what is your trouble? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. And when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall. And the people looked and beheld. He had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, may God do to me and more also if the head of Elijah Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Well, 
Why did the king of Israel blame Elisha for what was happening? Well, don't know. Might guess that Elisha had predicted that this was about to happen because of the evils uh, that the king of, Syria, of Israel had done. But uh, uh, Elisha was sitting in his, his house and the elders were sitting with him. And the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger uh, arrived, Elisha said to the elders, you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking to him, the messenger came down to him and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And that's in contrast to what had been said before about the great scarcity of things uh, for where you give a great sum of money for almost nothing. And now, you give a large sum of money, and we have a small sum of money for something that is genuinely food, and that'll happen by this time tomorrow. Uh, and the captain on whom the hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, how should this thing be? So Elisha said to him, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Then it changes to another story. There were four men outside the city of uh, uh, Samaria. Uh, there were lepers. And as lepers, they were not accepted anywhere. They had to, be, had to call themselves unclean, and they could not enter any kind of uh, intercourse with any people. And so they couldn't be in the city, and they couldn't even be to, with, with the uh, Syrians outside the city, and with the... Uh, extreme hunger and lack there was inside the city, you can certainly recognize there was, these people had nothing. And so they began to talk to themselves and say, if we go into the camp of the Syrians, they may kill us. But we can't go into the land, of, in, into, the, into the city of Samaria, and if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go to the Syrians, it won't be any worse, we'll still die. Let's go look. And so they did. And when they got there, they found that God had worked a miracle and caused the Syrians to believe that an army had come against them and they had just immediately threw everything down and fled, left all their provisions, and then headed back home to their, their land. And all these provisions were lying around, plenty to eat, uh, plenty to fight with, plenty of every kind of thing that you would need. And the first thing the four lepers did was to eat and help themselves to what was there. But then they said something that has been used over and over again for a funeral, t for, a, for a sermon text, not a funeral text, for a sermon text. And uh, what they said was, we are not doing well, for this is a glad day. And if we stay here and enjoy it ourselves and not tell the king's household, then we'll be in trouble. We'll be killed. So let's go now and tell the king's household that there is plenty uh, to be found here. You can see what would be done with that for a sermon. As we are in a land of great riches, we know the gospel, we know 
what's going to be done for every individual who obeys the gospel to escape the sin that we're trapped in. And uh, if we sit around and don't tell them, we're going to be in trouble uh, to take the same point made. And so now let's arise and go tell the king's household. Well, they did. They went back and told the, the uh, people of Samaria that this had happened. They really didn't believe it. They said it's a trap the Syrians are setting. But they eventually did go out, and they did find that there was now plenty there. And they could uh, uh, avail themselves of it and get plenty to eat, feed themselves after they'd been hungry for so long, and uh, they were no longer under a siege. And uh, that uh, blessing had come. So that was another way that the Lord had delivered the people of Samaria at, uh, at that time. Uh, this time the unbelieving cave captain that had said, uh, I, I, I don't believe that could happen. Uh, uh, when the people found out what was there and ran out, he was at the gate and he was trampled on and killed. So he saw it happen, but he didn't live to eat of it as uh, the prophet had told him, because of his unbelief. Uh, okay, any comment or question about that incident? All right, Second Kings 8. Uh, Shumanite's land is restored. Uh, Elijah had already healed, had already given the Shumanite woman a son even though she was barren. And uh, Elisha had said to the woman whose <coughs> son he had restored to life, arise and depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you <coughs> can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall come upon the land for, left for seven years. Uh, this would, uh, uh, may have been one of the famines we've talked about before, may not, as we said, you can't necessarily assume that all this is in chronological order. But at any rate, it, um, it happened that the famine was coming in the land, and he told this woman and told her to uh, go and do according to the word of the Lord. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. <coughs> and at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king of her house and her land and asked for it to be given back to her. While she was gone among the Philistines, it was, uh, her land had been taken from her, was being used by the king, and she asked for it back. Uh, now, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, Behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life <coughs> appeared and asked for the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, O my lord, O king, here is this woman, <coughs> and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king and the woman <coughs> told him to, to, the king had appealed to official for her land, therefore all this was hurt hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land uh, before. So uh, as a result of the fact that Gehazi, the servant, was talking to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel was asking about the great works that Elisha had done, then he uh, 
uh, was telling him about it, telling about this particular woman, and she appeared asking for her land to be restored to her. And uh, since uh, uh, the king was interested in what Elisha had done, Elisha had done that for this woman, he ordered that her land was to be restored to her. And in addition to that, all the produce of the land <coughs> that came during the seven years was also to be returned to her. Question. Obviously, this is the same Gehazi, same name. Does he still have leprosy? Uh, not mentioned. Uh, the commentators that I've looked at don't have much to say about that, except to note that uh, these things are not necessarily in chronological order, and this may have been before he was afflicted with the leprosy, but... Uh, at any rate, uh, here he is talking to the king and assisting Elijah in his work uh, again. So, uh, the next incident is in chapter 7, verses 7 to 15 in chapter 8. <coughs> Elijah came to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told to him, the man of God has come here, the king said to Hazael, take a present with you and go to meet the man of God and inquire the Lord through him, saying, shall I recover from this disease? Let me pause here a minute to say something I've said before, but it's illustrated here. Uh, Elisha is a prophet, but he is called the man of God more frequently than by any other name. Thank you. Appreciate that. He was called simply the man of God, uh, and he's called the man of God more frequently than anybody else in the Bible is. But over and over again, that's the term used for him, and you see that here. King of Syria says, there is a man of God who's come. Go call him and tell him that I want to see him. And he asked him, will I recover from this uh, disease? Uh, and when he came and stood before him he said your son Ben-Hadad king of Syria has sent me to you saying shall I recover from this illness and Elisha said to him go say to him <coughs> you shall certainly recover but the Lord has shown to me that you will, he, will, he will certainly die and he lifted his gaze and said to him and he was embarrassed and the man of God wept and Hazel said, Why does my Lord weep? And he answered him, Because I know the evil that you, talking to Hazel, will do to the people of Israel. You will set fire to their fortresses, will kill their young men with a sword, and dash in pieces their little ones, and rip open their pregnant women. And Hazel said, What is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The king and Lord has shown me that you are to be the king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha, and came to his master and said to him, What did Elisha said to you? And he said to him, He said to me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazel became king in his place. Looking back, you may remember that the last thing, not the last thing, but when Elijah himself was discouraged and thought he was the only one left and and nobody was doing the will of the Lord but him. Uh, the Lord came 
and, and, and opened and, and treated his discouragement. And one of the things he did was to give him a job to do. And the job that he gave him was, number one, appoint Elisha as your successor. Number two was anoint Hazel to be king over, uh, over Syria. And number two, three was to anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. So we've seen so far that although Elijah had died not shortly after that, he did carry out before he died appointing Elisha to be his successor. Now Elisha does the second part of that job and tells Hazel that he is to be king of Syria. And that seems to be the first thing, that, the first time it entered his mind, and therefore he set about to accomplish it. And uh, so having access as a trusted uh, advisor and soldier to the king of uh, Ben-Hadad, uh, he took advantage of that situation and, uh, and killed him and then appointed himself as king. But we know from the stand back point of that 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 was the Lord's doing. And what was happening here, all three of the people, all the two kings that he wanted to appoint, Hazel over Syria and Jehu over Israel, were to undo the worship of Baal that they had done. And so what was taking place here is the Lord was telling Elijah, and now through Elisha, to appoint people who would not follow Baal, but instead would honor uh, the Lord as, as king. And uh, so this puts this head in the mind of Jehu, I mean the mind of Hazel, and Hazel uh, puts to death Ben-Hadad and anoints himself as the king of Syria. Then verses 16 to 24, Jehoram is reigning in Ju Judah, and he just tells generally what he usually does about how whether he found favor in the eyes of the Lord or not. He found favor in that he had wiped out Baal and its worship, but he still followed the sin which Jehoram, the son of which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, had caused Israel to sin. That's talking about the golden calves and Dan and Bethel. And so he was still just, he was still recognized as, uh, as having done evil. And then Ahaziah <coughs> reigns in Israel, and in verses 25 to 29, the, uh, uh, the verdict is said concerning him. In the twelfth year of Joram, the king of Ahab, son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Joram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. He was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He also walked in the way of the house of Ahab, and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. For he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. And uh, so as a result of that, uh, they will go ahead and pronounce Jehu king. And what Jehu will do is wipe out all the, and him, the, the uh, descendants of Ahab and everybody else in the land who worshiped Baal and reestablish the worship of Jehovah. But again, Bill with the golden calves in uh, Dan and Bethel, and so still not obeying the voice of the Lord. We'll look next time at uh, Jehu being pronounced king in Israel. At this point, two or three minutes left. Any question or comment? All right, it's kind of a confusing time here as he looks at the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah 
both. Uh, you get over to Second Chronicles, <coughs> First and Second Chronicles. It follows the same period of time, but deals only with the kings of Judah. Gives a little bit more detail about them than uh, is done in First and Second Kings, and doesn't mention the kings of Israel at all, except as they have some contact with the, with the kings of Judah. That's the difference between First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. We'll see next week how Jehu becomes king of Israel and anointed by uh, Elisha and uh, what happens from then with the prophets of Baal. Thank you, and we'll stick up right there at uh, 2 Kings 9 uh, next, uh, next week.